All right, so this is the first episode of the whatever we're going to call this show, Charlie and Todd show. We never know, but episode. Episode 1. I like that word. What? Episode. Episode? It's a good word. The beginning of something. Beginning. It's always a beginning. So what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about today? Well, that's a good that's a good question. Well, while I was having this talk with Pastor Jeff at our church, we go to Wellspring, and we were having this talk about uh, yoga. Okay. And I asked him, like, what's your perspective and your opinion on yoga? And um, we were getting into that, but I uh, I talked about how what, what got me into it was having two knee surgeries, mm-hmm. and I was playing ball in college. And I was doing it on the rehab, but it wasn't really working. And and what I mean by that is I would be like walking around campus and my knees would just buckle all the time. And it was the most painful thing. And I was trying to figure out how do I heal my knees. And I saw this video of this guy who worked in the army and he was uh, in the air force and he used to be like an air jumper. And because of all the jumping out of the planes, he damaged his knees and he gained all this weight and he had to walk with like assistance, like with little arm you know, braces. And so, um, he eventually found this yoga instructor who trained him virtually and within 11 months left all the weight can run and everything. I was like, wow, that's really inspirational. Maybe I can use yoga right to help with my knees. And I did it for a month and a half. It was painful. And then after a month and a half, all my knee pain went away. And I was like, yoga is the best thing out there. But what, what it ended up doing is just opening this door to, a lot of philosophies, right, and beliefs, and a lot of, you could say, spiritual gurus that just led me down a path of just confusion for a good four or five years. So um, so we were talking about, you know, what are the pros and cons of yoga, and, you know, as a Christian, should you be, you know, dabbling in that? What are your thoughts? So... There's a there's a lot of thoughts on that. So yoga in itself, I, I I heard on a podcast once somebody talking about it how it was originally designed to evangelize the West. So if you really think about the origins of it and what it comes from, it is basically Hinduism. You know, multiple gods, as many gods as you want, but that's really the thing. Is it's like it it evangelizes by finding a need for somebody for either exercise or community or spirituality or repairing an injury or just, you know, finding a hobby. And by doing that, that's kind of the net that they grab by. But once you get in, it seems, you know, this is good for you. It's healthy. It's stretching. It's this, that, the other. I'm, I'm breathing. I'm sweating. It's all good stuff. Then comes in some weirdo that's chanting or yeah. humming or trying to teach you about life philosophies and it instantaneously becomes a religion. Yeah. And you don't realize you're, you've already joined the Hindu religion and nobody told you that you just thought you were stretching. And that transition is typically, you know, cause it's like a world in the community that you start to go deeper and deeper into. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in a religion, you don't realize it and you're a hundred percent certain you're not in a religion. Yeah. And that's the deception of it. And uh, it's kind of like a deceptive evangelism. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I remember my first time. First, I went on campus, and it wasn't. It was like a workout class, but then I was home for for winter break, and there was a new yoga studio that opened up, and I went there, and you know, as they open, they open the the yoga session with a, a chant. It's just like, you know, like a certain chant, and everyone does it together. And, you know, then they're going through and talking about their different philosophies and they're weaving it in. And then the instructor is talking about what's going on with them and they're applying these these principles. And, you know, and I brought, you know, plenty of people, family, friends, like, you got to check out yoga. But then again, it started to pour into, okay, let me read some of their books. Let me check out some of this. Let me check out some of that. And, um... Yeah, like you said, it's 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 promoting a healthier lifestyle. That's how I saw it at first, but then it you know, it it, it speaks to a lot of the pain points and challenges that people are dealing with. People are stressed and it's it's solving sometimes an immediate need. You know, I've had some people that family that have come with me and they're like, Man, I just feel like I need yoga after they go to the first time because they're super stressed and it helps them alleviate the stress and um but I, what I don't think they're recognizing is what the underlying message is. And I remember you sent me some video. It was like a documentary on this one lady. It might have been a few people that went really deep into yoga to the point where they were, um, it might have been like kundalini yoga where they were going, you know, somewhere into a different country and really getting into the, just to the extreme end of it right yoga like all day meditating not eating but then she just started experiencing some really creepy stuff on a spiritual level Mm -hmm. you know um i don't think the average person probably experiences that but that's my brain was going to hey let me become a yoga instructor because i was like this healed my knees so it can get to that point once you have this immediate you know, positive experience. Yeah, and think about that. They've basically recruited you, right, through a need. <clears throat> they they exploited something you need. They had a solution for you physically. And then they convert that into two things. One, they're introducing a philosophy and a religion to you that you don't realize. And now they're sending you out recruiting friends and family. And now you're yeah. pulling other people into a religion and you don't even realize it. That's the other thing. How, where, when you say they, where does the that they stem from who is the initial mastermind of it because a lot of people like myself like i wasn't thinking i was doing any harm to anybody i thought it was perfectly fine so who's who's responsible for for it at the end of the day who's the mastermind behind this right i'd say it's pretty simple satan right um you know the concept of know your enemy and the ministry i do of know your enemy is really understanding how that goes you know satan displays himself as a pitchfork and a red devil with horns and is gonna come to you in a dark alley and be very ugly like an alien and just stab you or kill you or you know blood everywhere murderous but in actuality he's a fallen angel that was the single most beautiful angel and he's a counterfeiter so what he does is he disguises himself and uh, he presents as something helpful, something loving, something caring, and he wants to look like God and deceive you slightly. And he's more clever than you are. 
So the idea of know your enemy is to understand he's more clever than you and to study his techniques and his tactics. And that's what happens is that the skies or that counterfeiting, it's made so that you can't tell the difference. It's made so that it feels good. It's a spiritual thing is what it is. So the they is spirits, whether it be demons, it be Satan, it be his minions, whatever it may be. It's a collection of spiritual movement, as all false religions are, um, that get you to get involved in it and evangelize it and spread it in certain ways. And most importantly, they like to bleed it into true religion. Because if you were the devil and you had to create a plan, what better plan than to have people doing yoga in church? Right. Isn't that interesting? So we're basically now um, contorting our bodies in snake uh, suggestions in different ways and opening ourselves up, chanting something. We have no idea what we're saying um, to the kundalini snake god of yoga inside of a Christian church. And we thought we were just healing our knees. Yeah. I never forget. And, and there's a very real experience that people can have sensationally by doing those types of things. I never forget this one time I did this. It wasn't yoga, but it was, I think, Hindu related. It was some type of like chanting video. And this is back when I was deep into it. I was far off my faith. And I did it and I had the craziest like like burning buzzing sensation like in my throat unnatural something I had never experienced before and so there is a very real spiritual element to that stuff yeah and if you go back and ask your guru or whoever it is that's in front of the room with all the influence what's going on they'll say oh congratulations you you know They'll compliment you. You're very advanced. Most people don't get to that as soon as you did. You wow, your throat chakra. <clears throat> yeah, your chakra. Let me let yeah. me let me tell you how special you are. Yeah, yeah. You opened your throat chakra, and that's man. I, I know people have been teaching this for twenty years. Can't even do that, right? Mm-hmm. And all this nonsense. And you feel like you're advancing in yeah. some way when you feel that I felt things in like my the center of my chest. Yeah, and you think, but it's some illusion. Like, but at the end of the day, what are you really getting? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't know, like I, people that do that. What, what, what tangible, you know, evidence do you have that this is working for you? Um, well, if you think about it, it what it harps on is <clears throat> people have a need for spirituality. They have a need to worship. They have a need for an understanding intellectually. They have an emotional need to feel something and they need they have a need belief wise to conclude what life's about. There's all these really deep seated questions that people don't realize they even have that they're always trying to find and meet. Yeah. And they're always seeking that truth, if you will. Mm-hmm. And when they find something that starts to fill that hole, even though it's only filling it by a smidgen of what truth would fill it with, they cling to it. And they start to worship it. And you know they're worshiping it because they're constantly talking about it. Yeah. And they're constantly thinking about it and they're constantly doing it. And they're trying to get other people to go do it because they want to share that feeling that they had with others. They want to share this revelation because in their life they went from one from you know, from point A to point B and now they're trying to recreate that for others <clears throat> out of a out of a you know, a loving desire in their heart. Yeah. Um, and we're made to do that also. 
is we were created by God to share what's in our heart uh, with others and share truth with them. So if we're convinced something's the truth and it's fulfilling our heart, we we have a need to go evangelize that and tell other people about it. So it's really, that's, that's what the counterfeit false religion is. It's as close to true religion as you can get, but it couldn't be further away. But it's filling all the needs inside of the human being. And that's what the design of the enemy is. And every false religion is, how do I fill the needs of them? How do I make them feel like they're attached to something and on their path to, to God, if you will? Mm-hmm. But how do I do it in such a way that it will take them as far away from God as possible? And be fully convinced of it. How do you, when you talk about false religion and you think about all the, you know, I know plenty of people that are of different religions outside of Christianity. And, you know, like you said, to the point, we have these questions in the back of our minds. Sometimes people don't. But one of the ones that at the top of my mind is, well, why is it that some, you know, people that you love, family, friends, they're involved in a different religion? And you're in, you know, you're in your, uh, as, as a Christian and, you know, that question of why, <laughs> you know, and that's a tough one. Um, I think, yeah, you know, um, cause great people, loving people would allowed, you know, God to choose me as a Christian and other people that I know as Christians and, not them. Well, it's one of the biggest struggles and concerns for people. And what it really comes down to is we, we think the way that we think because the way we were made and because of our sinful nature added to that. And understanding the fall is essential because we originally weren't um, going in that direction, but from the fall and sin being involved we then put God on trial and we, the real root of the question is why doesn't God think like me? Mm-hmm. And some people go as far to say, well, if he's real, why would he do what he does? He should do what I would do if I were God. So the question is, and in the Bible, Paul states it with what, what is the pot? What is the clay to say to the potter? Why did you make me this way? Right. And it's that idea of like, okay, so, he made everything. Mm-hmm. You struggle to make a gingerbread house that has clear <laughs> instructions. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like he created like Jupiter, you know, yeah. and the universe, which we can't even comprehend with our peanut brains, the size of it. But we're then going to put him on trial for why he does what he does. And, you know, biblically, he reveals to us a lot of pieces, but he doesn't reveal everything. Mm-hmm. So that's really where people stumble is they stumble on this concept of why does God do with what he does or God doesn't exist because he does what he does, but simultaneously they're mad at him for doing what he does, which is a conclusion that he does exist. So which one is it? You don't believe in him, you're mad at him, or you're subservient to him and you're going to allow him to be God. And that's really, it comes down to pride. Mm -hmm. And men really struggle with this issue because... They look at it with their intellect, they look at it with their pride, and they say, um, if I was, they're really not directly saying it, because if it comes out of their mouth, they'll capture it and say that's ridiculous, but they're really saying the underlying tone is that if I was God, I wouldn't do this. 
So why does God save some and not save others? Well, that's his business. Yeah. And if you were God, you could change it, but you're not. There's still a sense of curiosity. Yeah. Especially when you bring into the fold people that you love and you care about and you pray for. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a curiosity. Right. And if, if let's go back to the yoga reference is if you had a family member you loved and you prayed for that had knee issues, mm-hmm. you would probably open your mouth and say, listen, I need you to really hear me. This is really, really important. I know you're struggling with this and I don't want you in pain. I, I had the same pain. I know exactly where you're coming from. And this worked for me. This resolved my issue completely and totally. This is my testimony. This is my story. This is what changed my life. <clears throat> and it would mean nothing more to me than if you just pursued it a little bit and see if you could get some results from it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you think about evangelism in Christianity, really, that's, that's the same formula. That's true. If you love somebody enough, you care about them enough eternally, it's like God has left us with this 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 kind of friction where mm, the point. grace is his, the saving is his, he does the work, and he has the foreknowledge of what it would be in the end, but we don't. Right. So we have no idea whether that person is coming to a saving grace later on, and we have no idea whether or not we're supposed to be involved in that. But we do have a desire and a love for them to communicate and share it with them. That's true. But then we simultaneously have this programming from the enemy that we're worried about what they'll think if we talk to them about it. It led to my next question and observation, and this is a big one for me. You know, there's a hesitation and a fear of recommending things. And even to the point where, I guess it didn't happen as much with yoga, but when it comes to... Um, Christianity, there's a fear of evangelizing and I don't know what the, 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 the reason is. I look at, um, you know, just some people who have this, uh, I guess it's built up over time, you know, to, to have the strength and the conviction to do it. But that's a really good point. Well, I'll take a stab at it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, my life has been tumultuous to say the least. There's been a lot of trials, there's been a lot of issues, there's been a lot of problems, and I'm very curious, and I'm very, um, I would say, ambitious to solve problems. And when I have certain pains, I look to go find the solutions, and I spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of money to find good answers. And I've learned better how to find answers to things. So as I've gone out and found solutions to things, some things I've found great solutions to, that I'm 100% certain is a solution to a problem. Other things I've found solutions that have helped, but not necessarily fully solved. And some things I've found solutions that don't work at all. So I've then gone and communicated a lot of those things to other people. And they're not always welcomed. You know, some people have uh, things that I know are very basic problems that I know 100% with 100% certainty what solves those problems. But when you go in love and try to share that with them, Sometimes they think you're crazy. Sometimes they can't hear you whatsoever because they have existing beliefs that prevent them from hearing you. Because in their mind, they're thinking, well, if it was that easy, my doctor would have told me that. Or if it was that easy, Google would have told me that. Mm -hmm. Or if it was that easy, I would already know it. Or if this is so good and this works so well, then how come nobody else knows about it? So there's beliefs that people have that prevent them from hearing you. And it's not your job to open somebody's ears. You can try to persuade them. 
you can try to bring truth, you can try to bring information, but you have to have a boundary where your job stops and their job picks up. And when it comes to evangelizing Christianity, it's about timing and it's about God opening their ears Mm -hmm. and their mind and their heart, which ties back into timing. And sometimes it's the right time and sometimes it isn't. And that's the concept of planting seeds. Sometimes you plant a seed and they can't really hear it, but maybe 10 years later they hear it and they think back and they go, oh my gosh, he's been here all along talking to me. And then they have their great moment. So that's the thing is, you know, the Bible gives us that analogy of being like that farmer of spreading seeds. And, you know, some will be choked out, Uh right? Some will be snatched up by the birds. The birds get them, right? Some will start to grow and then they'll die off because they're not in good soil. They weren't planted in a good place. And then some will grow great and give you a, you know, a massive multiplier return. So as a farmer, you just put down the seed. You can't be afraid to put down the seed because it might not grow. Yeah. The birds are definitely going to eat some of them. There's no doubt. Some of them are going to fall in the rocky soil and some are going to grow up and get choked out by weeds. So, and you know, really, if we think about it, anything we evangelize, anything we try to teach somebody or tell somebody that was beneficial to us, some people hear it, some people don't. Yeah, that's the truth across the board. But when it comes to Christianity, sometimes we get so worried about it that it puts us into silence, but that's really just the enemy's plan. Yeah. They want you to feel an embarrassment. You shared something with somebody, uh, here is this, you know, really awkward exchange or this really aggressive response that embarrasses you that prevents you from doing what others. And then it goes back to, well, I should just mind my business. Yeah, and I think also, you know, the 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 message of evangelism, especially in the Christian faith, it's it doesn't just it's not just spreading the gospel, but it's the message of the gospel and what that means and how do you have love and compassion to other people. And um I never forget we were at church and Pastor Jeff was talking about it was I forget who, but it was someone who um helped the family by giving them something it was something so simple it might have been a plant or you know food or groceries and she did it consistently and she didn't say anything about you know her being a christian but it was just her act of love and act of kindness that made them curious to say like what in the world made you want to do something like that and it's acts like that that you know can can open people's hearts up but at the same time to your point about you know, it's it's got time, it's God's timing. So, the weight of it doesn't really fall on us. It's ultimately His decision how how it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, the fruit of the tree is kind of the analogy we're given in Scripture, where you know, if you're you're rooted properly in Christ, you're you're a part of the vine. Um, it's you know, it says that a good tree can only bear good fruit, cannot bear bad fruit, and likewise, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, can only bear bad fruit. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, I got some fruit and I guess somebody ate from it and I didn't even know about it. And they they gleaned something that I later found out about that I had no clue of. Then there's people, you try to give them the fruit and they're like, I don't like that fruit, right? And then there's people <clears throat> where you just say, well, I know there's hungry people over here. I'm going to leave some fruit here and maybe somebody will pick it up. Yeah. And then there's times you go back and you check whether somebody took it and there's times you just leave it and never check again and maybe it was taken, maybe it wasn't. So it it just goes back to what you feel led to do as far as communicating goes, as far as 
sharing, you know, and really it's just, it's God's business and it's an honor to get used in any capacity whatsoever. And what I've found is most of the time you are used, it's not the way you thought it would happen. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of times it's quite the opposite. You think you screwed something up and it worked. Mm -hmm. And when you think you did everything perfect, it doesn't work because (laughs) God reminds us very often that it's not our effort per se, but it's, it's him doing that work so that we can't take pride from it and take, you know, honor and like, uh, you know, as if God needs us for anything. Yeah. He doesn't. I remember to the point about the seeds and, uh, falling on deaf ears and you pick up certain, you know, some people, people pick up, it, it lands in the soil. And in that regard, I, um, I remember when I first started, you know, when, when you kind of, you kind of, it was like through a process of you introducing me back to, to the Lord. And it was, um, like a little before I got fired from this job, I was miserable in my job. First, I was loving what I was doing and consulting, but I was all over the place, like spiritually, emotionally, I wasn't content with what I had, which was a great opportunity. So I just like spread myself so so thin, and I didn't really have a sense of just making wise decisions. So led me down to getting a job that I didn't like. I hated it. I was miserable. I remember I was talking with you about that, and then during that time, um, you know, just through our relationship, asking you questions like. We talked a lot about personal development and business, but then I never forget this one time where you were like, "What's the problem with personal development?" I was like, I, "I don't, I don't know." Like this is probably like a week or two before I got fired from this job, and you're like, "It's missing, you know, the gospel. It's missing Jesus," mm-hmm. and um, that was really, uh, and that was at a time where I was really into a lot of new age and you know Bob Proctor's and um, Deepak Chopra, all these new age people and. Um, it was interesting and it took a good three or four years even reading the bible to really see the uh the dangers of a lot of those you know thought leaders considered thought leaders right in the new age space and um it took like three years i feel like it was like a year ago where i really recognized man the route to get what you need is straight in the bible like yeah that'll direct you to all the resources where you need but you don't really need, you know, you don't have to start with anything else besides the Bible. And you've been telling me this for like three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> and it took it took some time to really get to that point. Well, it, it's like an air traffic controller watching a plane circle the airport and telling it how to land, where to land, when to land. Just trust me, you can land. And then somebody just circles for three years. Sometimes they run out of gas and just fall off. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's really what it is. Is it's it's in it's in the timing, and you know it's funny you mentioned like Chopra and Proctor and you know they're they're, they're tools of of the enemy. When mm-hmm. you say New Age, it's funny. So like that whole personal development world. I mean even Joel Osteen, personal oh, development yeah. world. Your best life now and. Chopra writes a book, something about the third Christ and all this nonsense in that book. It's insane. Um, Bob Proctor with, you know, talking about the uh, the secret and the law of attraction. These are all 
super false religions and there's no fruit on those trees and the people that follow them get no results whatsoever but they never measure the result and at the end of the day these people just leave with your money mm-hmm. they leave with your money they have you thinking that every time you receive money it's because you attracted it yeah when it's really just the same money everybody else receives you just perceive it differently it's a confirmation bias yeah they plant a seed into your mind that you're attracting these things and everything is showing you that things aren't going well. Right. <laughs> when you look at your life over the course of a month and two months, over a year, but then boom, something like real small happens. And you're like, law of attraction. Yeah. And people that love you are outside looking at you saying, yeah, dude, like that's not working for you. And you're totally convinced. No, no, no. I've got this Messiah figure, Bob Proctor, who told me, that if I just stick with it, and if I keep going, and I keep, well, how much did you pay him? Well, the course, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. You pay the guy $10,000, and he, he weans you on for 10 years, takes all your money, and nothing comes to you. You know, what he's really doing is he's, well, he's, he's dead now, but he's manipulated the reticular activating system of the brain and that concept of it where when you see something and you focus on it, you tend to see more of it. And he's calling that the law of attraction, but really that's something God created in our brain. And it's really created as a filter so that you don't see everything all the time. Your brain would explode if you saw everything all the time. You can only see what you're focusing on. You know, and people always see that when they get the new car. Now all of a sudden they see the same car everywhere and they never saw it before. How did all these people go buy this new car? That the same one that I have. It's because your brain got activated to notice it but it was always there. And whatever you focus on, you tend to find. So he's really taking that and manipulating that into a false religion and acting as the Messiah figure delivering this. And the only way to continue to get information is to listen to him talk in circles for hours at a time. That was his greatest gift. The man could talk for four hours about absolutely nothing. Words after words after words and never, ever actually make a point. It's it's incredible. And then he would get people to pay him for that, which is insane. Well, I think one of the most important things, especially with people like that, is understanding how manipulative stories can be. Because what, what a lot of them do is they're tying these concepts to a story. And it's a story that's, it's it seems incredible, but... I mean, oftentimes that story is linked to just their unique circumstances. Yeah. And that ends up being the anchoring point. And people, I mean, stories are probably one of the most memorable things. Like people remember a story. And like the the, the one I heard about Joel Olstein was with him talking about, like one of his examples in his books was how... It, you know, he's very similar about the law of attraction. I don't think he uses that specific language, mm-hmm. but just kind of putting that energy out there and how, you know, one day he wanted to get a great uh, parking spot. Yeah. <laughs> and he pulls up and he got the first spot. And like, that's his example about how powerful we are. The fact that we can project that we want a great parking spot today and be He's pulling out, you know, one day out of his entire life to use that as an example to drive home this point, which is huge. I mean, he's. Yeah. Yeah. And people people buy into it because what happens is you get these speakers, they're charismatic. Mm -hmm. 
and they're persuasive. And some people would even say they have the tongue of the devil because the fruit of what they're teaching is really just money to them. And that's really what it is. And they always have a give back. And it's like, oh, they're they're very generous. They give to this, they give to that. And it's like, well, if you ever took their total wealth and their total income and measured against what they give away, very often you can't find that info. And if you do, you'll find that they're not very generous. They just announce they're giving all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? So that that's kind of a fruit thing, if you will. But even some people that are wealthy do give. And even some people that are very... Um, very manipulative and persuasive and charismatic, they do give. So you can find that too. But But I think what it comes down to is that hypnotism. When they're talking, they're able to freeze your brain. They use different techniques and different strategies. Uh, Neurolinguistic programming is, NLP is one of the things that a lot of those speakers study and use in order to influence you. There's a whole study and an art to it. Mm -hmm. And they are intentionally the way I know it is I've been to those things. I've been to those trainings. I've been to uh, a lot of these speakers and some of them even teach NLP and they have followers that teach NLP. And it's this whole world of influencing people, hypnotizing their brains and getting them to do basically what you want them to do. And, you know, if you really boil it all down, they have their own religion. It's a new age personal development religion. And they even have a Bible. It's Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich is their Bible. But I don't get out of that book what they get out of it. Because I've read the book. The book is extremely confusing. It's very poorly written. And it's built on a false premise. Because it's never been confirmed with any of the people that he actually interviewed them. It may be a, it may be a book of fiction. Yeah, I remember. I, I sent that to you, like, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. I read a Forbes article. And I think it came from that guy, James Janai. He does those great... You, you've sent me some stuff on him. He takes a lot of these, you know, uh, just common beliefs about, like, you know, personal development. And he exploited, you know, Napoleon Hill. And you can read the Forbes article where people went back to validate all the key points, like him interviewing Andrew Carnegie and... You know, people that work for him says we have no recollection, no documentation that Napoleon Hill ever interviewed Andrew Carnegie. Right. And it's it's crazy because that's one of the most popular, well-known self-help books promoted by Bob Proctor. It's the Bible. It's the New Age Personal Development Bible. And there's people evangelizing it all over the place, everywhere. And you know, what's what's interesting, what makes it so effective, and it, if we go back to Know Your Enemy, and we think about the enemy and how he works, he uses half-truths. And that's what happens. So if you ever have a conversation with somebody, they'll say, well, I learned this from that, and it's true. And it's like, okay, so that does, does that declare the entire book true, and everybody that reads it and follows it and everything they teach to be true? Because there's a truth in the book? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the truths in the book. I'm talking about the deceptions and the concepts and the people that follow that book and accredit all their success to that book. And, you know, it's interesting. If you ever actually measure the people with success from that book, as they as they say, everybody, you know, all great successes come from that. I've met tens of thousands of people that bought the book, read the book, studied from people that swear the book has brought them all their wealth. They have no wealth whatsoever. Zero after decades of time. And it's like, 
are we going to, so you're announcing the results, but are we actually going to measure the results mm-hmm. or are we just going to cherry pick one? And that's really the biggest problem our country's facing right now too, mm. is that people will take one example of a situation and build an entire argument on it and ignore all the other actual results. I want to make a point about that. Please do. And and shift a little bit into the music space. Okay. Because one thing that I notice, especially people who are religious, is they will put aside the root of a message from music, right? Secular music. And I've listened to secular music most of my life growing up, even going to a Christian school, listened to a lot of rap, Lil Wayne, hip hop, R&B, all of that. And it wasn't until recently, right, over the past year or two, I've gotten more into shifting into listening to more Christian hip hop artists. And, and, and it's made me more sensitive to what I've been listening to over the years and just becoming like numb to the core message. And you got a lot of these artists, mainstream artists, that are right putting out garbage music and it's so funny because my dad's been saying this to me for years as a kid he was like why are you listening to that he would get so upset at me we'd be at a basketball game and you're hearing like this music and like you know being in high school I'm like wasn't thinking anything of it but you know it's it was garbage you know the stuff that they're talking about but the the backdrop is oh but they give so they give so much back to the people Look what they've done to their community. Right. And that's one of the main arguments is let's put aside what the core message is and look at what they're doing in these communities. It's a big issue. So it's interesting. Um, Similar to what you're saying, we just got a new vehicle and I get in the car and it's my wife's got this serious XM satellite thing attached to the car and <clears throat> it's got this big screen on it and it you hit a button and I'm like oh there's this channel it's the ninth channel it says the 90s on nine I'm like oh cool 90s music so I, I hit the button and my truck doesn't have that it's just a regular radio mm-hmm. and uh I'm hearing all these songs from the 90s from when I went to high school and right after high school. And I'm like, yes, this music, <laughs> yes. And it's like, because you heard them thousands of times in your head and they're so familiar. And they, it, and music connects to a different part of your brain than anything else does. And it's like a straight line through this part of your brain to your emotions. And it makes you feel a certain way. There's something that God has designed about music inside of us that is made to connect with our emotions. And that is made by God to be good for worship however the enemy has designed it differently and you know there's a loosely tied verse in the scripture that implies something to the effect of satan being the music director in heaven before he got thrown out some people have drawn some vast conclusions from that but um nonetheless we know that he's present in certain music because some of it is just displayed that way and it's, it's obvious from the words but anyway as i'm driving and listening to this music I'm going, holy crap, I used to listen to this? Because like now I'm listening to the lyrics. Where When I was younger, I didn't listen to the lyrics. They were just subliminally being put in my head. Yeah. But now I'm listening to the lyrics going, what did they just say? I can't believe I heard this song like a thousand times intentionally Yeah. when I was younger. And I can't believe the garbage that was put in my head. And like you, I've become my father. 
Because <laughs> now we're old dudes, right? Yeah. Or, or getting there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, and you talk about, like, these givebacks, you know, like, oh, well, he pours back into the ghetto with his rap music and this, that, and the other. And, the, you know, the Bible's very clear that when you give, you're to do it in secret. You're not to announce it. And if you do, like, that was your reward. There is no reward with God. Right. And it's become a trend now That's a good point. for not only artists, but businesses, you know, these socially responsible businesses to put on every piece of marketing, every piece of advertising, every single building and display what their give back is. Here's what we do. And the reason they do that is because they run studies on it. People like to give their money to companies that have a give back, but they don't know that most companies have a give back. So they actually give their money to companies that display their give back. So people are rewarding companies that display their give back. But the Bible opposes that. The Bible says not to talk about it, mm-hmm. to do it in secret, to do your giving in secret. And that that's a big thing for Christian business owners is like, there's always this pull where you know your business will do better if you let people know all of your give back. But that goes directly against what the Bible tells you to do. So it's interesting when I see Christian businesses that mm. display their give back because the book itself says not to do it. And it's not some vague thing that's up for debate. It's it's oh, very clear. super, oh, yeah. super clear in multiple mm-hmm. places. And there's nothing that opposes it that says to announce it in any capacity whatsoever, from my opinion, from what yeah. I've read. So it's, it's very interesting to kind of see that. So really what that is is deception. It's like, look at me. I'm doing good things. Pride. So you should feel comfortable giving me your money or listening to yeah. my music or allowing me to talk about prostitution in my songs. And that's just the enemy twisting up God's truth, which is the first way the enemy has attacked from the garden in the beginning. You know, God gives us act one, scene one. Here's what God says. The enemy comes to the human and says, that's not really what he meant. This is what he meant. Mm-hmm. Let me twist that up. So the word of God being twisted is how the enemy um, gets us off track. That's, that's exactly the, the, the base one, plan one, protocol, full back up the middle, simple, basic play. It's always going to happen because it's so effective over and over and over again. And people just need to learn and realize that's how the enemy operates and works is by taking God's word and twisting it. And then once you believe it to be God's word, just like any other false religion, you now have a Christianity that's false because you believe false things about God's word. Because you don't actually know what it says. But people take little snippets and then they apply it and they say, here's this little snippet, like a Joel Osteen. It was just an obvious, easy target. But here's this little snippet and here's what it means. And it's like, it actually has nothing to do with what you just said it means. Because it's totally out of context. So taking God's word out of context is extremely dangerous because it forms your beliefs. And then you believe, similar to yoga, you believe that that is truth with all of your being, but if you go down the road and you keep moving with that belief, it's eventually going to hurt you and drift you away from God or, or, or take you to a bad spot. Bath or Rick? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Caffeine and I uh, had a rocky relationship, to say the least. What happened? What happened? I think I'm just an addict. I think, uh, you know, as being somebody who gets obsessed with things, and for me, energy is a huge, huge thing. So, 
you know, if you if you drink caffeine and you smack that adrenal gland, then you're going to get this this energy, but then it falls off. So you want to smack it again, or you want to smack it harder the next day because it's not you're not getting that peak, and it's I feel like I'm a heroin addict trying to chase that first caffeine mm-hmm. high all the time. So it's always progressive, and it keeps adding. And it's, before you know it, you're drinking a full pot, and then you're stopping at Wawa to grab another one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and you, I, I think I have a problem here. And you drink it black, right? Um, do I don't. Stuff? Drink okay. it black. Um, I've been using ice because I don't like it too hot. And I use um, unsweetened coconut milk. And at times I use MCT oil. But I don't think my belly loves it all the time. Yeah. I think coconut oil, while it's a good solution for cooking and things of that nature, I think we're not necessarily meant to have it every single day. Coffee, coconut oil, all of it? Well, the coconut oil for okay. sure. I think coffee's pretty safe. You know, there's there's different people. Everybody's body's so different. Yeah. You know, some people I know, a few friends that come over. You know, we have parties and stuff, and they'll they'll drink two, three big cups of coffee at ten o'clock at night and go home, and go to bed. That's how my dad is. Yeah. Every, everybody has a different response to caffeine. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, like if I have too much, I'll jitter. If I don't yeah. have enough, I'll fall asleep. And if I have just the right amount, I feel okay. But then, I, you know, I've just figured, how about we get rid of all of that and I don't fall asleep and I, I'm i not jittering and I don't have to, like, go and get my fix. So I decided to just come off of caffeine altogether, which is not an easy thing to do mm-hmm. because you got to fall off that cliff for a few weeks before you can kind of restore. But I also had done some testing and my adrenal glands were shot. So for years I've had, you know, energy and fatigue issues and um, through chasing all different techniques of testing, I finally was doing some hormone testing and there was this specific cortisol test that I did, uh, which was a spit test. And that revealed some major issues with my, my adrenals, which I knew through some energy testing that there was adrenal issues, but I didn't fully buy into that, um, nor was there really a good way to solve it. I mean, I took adrenal support for years. But now I'm at the point where I'm trying to completely and totally rebuild and restore my adrenal glands because that's the you know kind of kryptonite on my body is my adrenals. And what are the adrenal glands for? So the adrenal glands sit on top of the kidneys. They're this little tiny like triangular uh, gland and they excrete. They do a couple things, but they mainly is for excreting adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And adrenaline is made... You know, it's there for when you need it for, like, extreme situations. You know, you've heard about people lifting cars because somebody's trapped under it and this crazy, like, amazing strength. Um, The adrenaline used in a healthy way is there to help you. But in today's culture and all the crazy nonsense we see all the time, hormones are under attack. You know, if if you smack it too hard with caffeine for too long and too much of it, you can really tax your adrenals. But also just constantly seeing all these sensational things all the time. I don't think our bodies were originally made for video content, especially video content that is, you know, exciting and, you know, a certain way on the mind because the mind reacts a certain way and then the body just can't keep up. It just wasn't designed for the way that it's typically used today. And the sensory overload that comes in can really create major cortisol issues, major, major issues and other hormones that, you know, you get, you get super problems inside the body and, you know, it's like TikTok brain. 
Yeah. Right. It, you know, it's it's a heavily talked about thing, but it's it's a it's a real deal. You know, kids they just today's uh, younger generation they can't enjoy life because their brains are constantly entertained on video screens. You know, and a few examples like even my children they they grew up with Dude Perfect. And Dude Perfect will shoot a ball from a mile away, you know, 7,000 times on video until they make one. And then when they make that one, they celebrate like crazy. But all my kids see is the one being made. And then it's like, let's, let's go to the next thing I'm doing where one's being made. So all they see is shots being made and f- people freaking out and celebrating nonstop. And then they go to YouTube and it's the same thing. Here's this dunk to that dunk. It's a highlight reel. Everything's a highlight reel. And... Regular life is boring to them. Reading a book is boring. Sitting around having a conversation is boring. Everything's boring because their brain has been accelerated at this certain speed and their minds can't necessarily handle that. And it's a different challenge for this younger generation coming up. It's just the culture. It's what it is. And you try to shield your kids for it, but then you become the enemy, right? It's like you become the old guy that doesn't understand. It's like, am I becoming my father? Right. And in a lot of ways, you want to become your father because we had good fathers. Right. But in a lot of ways, too, you also have that kid inside of you that wants to understand that their world's different and their world's always going to be this way and progressing. So you want to teach them and educate them, help them make their own decisions. But you still want to be a parent and protect them. So it's a tough line to walk, because if you just take everything away or take anything away, really, then they just don't like you. Mm hmm. Um, and they can downright hate you and think that you just don't understand them. But in actuality, they don't understand the subject. And But as all kids are, especially teenagers, they're convinced they do. And that's the irony in the circle of life, is we get to go back and raise children the same way we were raised and have the same arguments and the same fights, and now we're in the other perspective, and... Now we understand why we were always told as children we have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, a uh, teenager is probably not going to watch a documentary on social media and the truth behind all that. The uh, It's, um, yeah, it's crazy, you know, seeing a lot of kids being like, tied and glued to uh the video screens and it um i think about that that one documentary on netflix you ever saw that it was the social dilemma yes that was terrifying yeah and that led me to get rid of all the social media off my phone and put these blockers on my laptop when i go on like linkedin for work or even facebook i don't see any news feed or but it's crazy how the originators of a lot of these big social media platforms talk about how the original intent has gotten, they've gotten so far off that to the point where they're not even allowing their own kids to use it. Yeah, and we're back to the they. Yeah. Well, they do this and they do that and they, they design it to be addictive and they design it so kids can't stop. Well, who's they? It's yeah. back to the spiritual. Right, because I don't believe that somebody originally creates a social media platform has this intention of like doing what it's doing now. How could you ever design that from the beginning? You have no idea. It gets a mind of its own and it grows with influences. 
And, you know, it's, it's one of the downfalls of capitalism. They capitalize the platforms through certain marketing, advertising, and algorithms, and then it's capturing eyeballs and attention, which allows them to sell more advertising to be more profitable. So in order to continue to profit, they have to capture more eyeballs, so they're going to use what captures eyeballs, which is always negative stuff. Always. It's, even if you look at just news media in general, everything's so negative. Mm-hmm. They just know that if they don't talk about how terrible somebody else is, that people won't watch. They'll go to another channel and watch how terrible they are, right? And they'll. So it's unfortunately, people are not able to regulate that part of their brain because it's really an alertness. Like, oh, problem. Yeah. Oh, breaking news. Like, if you really look at these news channels, every night, every show is breaking news. Mm-hmm. And there's a sound that goes with it, and there's a flash on the screen, and it's read this, and breaking news, right? And if you look at, like, even the whole COVID nonsense, that was, like, body count on the screen. Like, how interesting was that? To see, like, how many dead bodies we have now from this, allegedly from this, you know, this this virus that we know nothing about. And they really sold it, man. It was, like, a huge pharmaceutical commercial that lasted two years on every platform and every screen where they controlled all information and then sold a product and made billions and billions of dollars, completely and totally liability-free because they can't be sued. Mm -hmm. And they left with all the money. Can't be sued. I remember when I read the... I forget what act it was, but it made them completely off the hook if anyone had any type of side effect... They wouldn't be liable for that. They're not. Some vaccine manufacturers in the United States are not liable at all for any damages caused by the vaccine. And that happened under an act under Ronnie Reagan back in the 80s. Now, the reason that was is the vaccine, legitimately, the vaccine manufacturers back then, and there wasn't that many vaccines given back then. As a child, I had some vaccines, but there wasn't. As what it is now. Now they're shooting kids up with everything. Yeah. But back then, as they found the need for more vaccines and they created them, they essentially were trying to be insured and insurance companies would not insure them. So they basically, the federal government had an interest in having vaccines to protect people. And they said, well, what if we insured you? And it's like, well, how do we do that? And it's like, well you won't be able to be sued. We'll take that on and then we'll make a separate court and anytime there's an issue, we'll have a fund and we'll pay people out. And we'll be the insurance company. And that's the vaccine court. And people don't even know that happened. They have no idea. But if you really think about that, if you're a huge pharmaceutical company that's making drugs all these years, and gosh, you get all these commercials like, oh, this drug does this and here's all these crazy side effects. And then five years later, oh, if you or a family member were injured by this drug... You know, call this attorney and we'll get you money. And now there's billion, billion dollar lawsuits to pay out money from the drug damage. Well, imagine you could release a drug that didn't have any liability and you have to pay for any of the damage. That's exactly what a vaccine is. So they started moving into vaccine research, into vaccine manufacturing. And then if you look at that time from the 80s to now, you know, a kid in the 80s, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say, you know, I was born in the late 70s. I might have had five or six vaccines as a child. Kids now, they're having like 30 to 40 vaccines, but they're having like 60, 70, 80 different doses that go into them over the course of their, you know, from zero to like 12. 
because not only do they increase the number of vaccines, but they increase the number of boosters over and over and over again. So really that legislation, that act that passed proliferated the number of vaccines and the number of boosters because the liability was gone. And from a straight business and financial perspective, that's an absolute goldmine. But now they're taking it to a whole nother level. Now they've gone and they've created these mRNA shots, which I won't call a vaccine because they're not a vaccine. Because a vaccine, by definition, is you take the actual virus and you take an inactive piece of the virus and you inject it into the person so their immune system can identify it and then it can protect against it. But these new mRNA shots do not have pieces of the virus in it. So by definition, they're not vaccines. What's an MRA shot? mRNA. R- mRNA. Yeah, messenger R- RNA. So b- basically... Were those the vaccines for COVID? Yes. That, okay. Yeah. I think I remember. So when they released those, they really couldn't call them vaccines because it didn't have COVID in it. It didn't have deactivated COVID or dead COVID or a signature of COVID. Um, so they technically weren't vaccines. So rather than creating a new name for these... They decided they didn't want liability, obviously. Mm. So how do we get no liability with something that's not a vaccine? Well, let's just change the definition of what a vaccine is. So they actually went to the words and rewrote and had Webster rewrite the definition of a vaccine. You think, wow, that's brilliant. So I can create a product that has nothing to do with a vaccine and just go change the definition of what a vaccine is. And now I'm covered under the act from the 80s. Because now it's a vaccine, because I changed the definition of a vaccine. Like, what if I took a punch in the face? Like, I could punch people in the face, <laughs> and I could get Webster to change that a vaccine is this, this, and that, and it also is a punch in the face. So now I can give everybody a punch in the face, and I'm protected under the act from the 80s. Now, that sounds insane, like a punch in the face. Like, people are like, well, a shot's a shot. And it's like, no, a shot's not a shot. You know, if I give you a shot of vitamin C, or if I give you a shot, you know, an IV, or if I give, they're not vaccines. Yeah. A shot is not a shot. And people don't understand this new technology has never been done before. It's a total experiment. Complete and total experiment. It is not a vaccine. Well, I guess technically it is because they changed the definition. But it is not the traditional vaccine. And people don't realize that. Which is why they're blindly just taking it. And now they're all falling over and dying. Not all of them. Some of them are. But it's happening. It's happening quick. I never forget the first third party story that I heard was when, this is not offline, I was in a Starbucks in my town, I was in Margate, sometime last year during the summer, and I was sitting there, it's a small little spot, and I'm doing my, doing some work. I know the spot. And, yeah, and, and there were these two guys, probably in their 50s or 60s, and they were catching up, it's like they knew each other, and this one guy said to, you know, his friend, he was like, he's like, you know my daughter, right? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, you know, she's 30, great athlete, you know, incredible health. A month ago, she went to go get the COVID vaccine and she started having heart palpitations. And within a week, she went to the doctor and her heart had been permanently enlarged because of it. And he's like, my daughter has not been the same since. And it was, I heard that story. I was like, just mind blown. I mean, those aren't the stories that you're hearing on the news well why isn't there a count on the news of total people injured by the vaccine Mm -hmm. 
we did a body count of deaths that it, some of them had to do with the virus. Some of them did not. People in old age homes that were already like morbidly ill and ready to die. And they accounted towards that body count. But now there's no body count on people that have died or gotten, you know, heart disease. And it's like, what? where's the justice in that? And the fact of the matter is we have to realize that those news channels are simply propaganda machines for the people selling the solution. That's what people have not registered in their brains yet. Yeah. They don't get it. And I feel really bad for the baby boomer generation because the baby boomer generation doesn't listen to podcasts like this. The baby boomer generation doesn't typically listen to alternative news sources. They were raised on ABC and, you know, NBC and all these different channels. And they're certain that that's truth on those channels. And then people in younger generations don't listen to any of that stuff. And they're hearing different things. But I feel really bad because, you know, look, as you get older, it's harder to change. It's harder to adopt new things. It's harder to believe that something you believed your whole life is false. Yeah. You're not as pliable in, as in an older age. So I feel really bad for that generation because they got snookered. They got snookered into taking these shots and people having all sorts of health issues. Yeah. And it's like, well, if they're old and they have a stroke, well, they would probably have had one anyway. It's normal. It's got nothing to do with the shot. It's like, okay, well, what about this 24-year-old football star that just had a heart attack on the field? Oh, it's from the shot to the chest that he took. And it's like, okay, we got 50 million athletes taking 50 billion shots to the chest for the past 45 years I've been alive, and none of them had a heart attack, you know, five mm-hmm. seconds after. But just two years ago, you can't play unless you get the shot. And it's not like it's one person. We're talking thousands of people falling over. And they're calling it cardiac arrest instead of a heart attack because heart attack is too aggressive. So, oh, he had a cardiac arrest as if it's like, you know, he had a flu or he had a cold. Like, oh, yeah, he just happened to have this cardiac. No, he had a heart attack at 24 years old. Because if you say that, people say, no, 24-year-olds don't have heart attacks. It doesn't happen. Never happens. Totally bizarre, let alone thousands of 20-year-old athletes, elite athletes, who all happened to get a shot because they had to, otherwise they weren't allowed to play. It was mandated on them. They were all forced to do it, and now they're all starting to fall. It's crazy if you think about the times we're in right now. They're all starting to fall over on the on the field. They're just falling down. Yeah. Some of them are dying instantly. Some of them are... Like this Hamlin guy from 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 Buffalo. We were watching that live. He fell, and I was like, this is not good. Not good. Yeah. And, you know, the meme is like, uh, we don't know what's causing it with all these athletes, but we're certain it's not the vaccine. And it's like, how? If If... If I need to prove it is the vaccine, I need to run a clinical study and prove it is the vaccine in order to say that. Why don't you need to prove it isn't the vaccine? Why is the vaccine innocent till proven guilty? That's yeah. what I want to know. Especially when it's an experiment that's never been tested properly. And they say, no, it is. No, it, no, it has not. And we knew that. And there was no informed consent. It was a complete and total experiment, but they positioned it as safe and effective. Clearly, it is not safe. And clearly, it is not effective. They've already conceded it's not effective. Whatsoever. It doesn't stop COVID in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. In fact, there seems to be a higher ratio of people getting COVID reinfected who have gotten the vaccines. 
Now, where's that data available for the average person? So, and the, how do you how do you distinguish between what's true and false in terms of the documentation of you know the effectiveness, people who are passing away who genuinely got COVID, and I mean, just all the how do you, how do you fish through and find what's the real source of that's a great true information? So they love to say correlation doesn't equal causation. Who's they? They is the brainwashed scientific community that thinks that everything they're told to believe is true. And that's not the whole scientific community. That's the ones that are allowed to speak because they're not censored. Because the ones that speak against it are censored. So my question is, if we're using the scientific process, why do we need to silence people that question it? Because the scientific process is questioning it, right? Yeah. So when you see correlation, right, if... If, if 10 people walk in my office here, we get a brand new office, 10 people walk in, and seven of them trip at the front door, there's a correlation. Those people together tripped. Now, you may say that's because there's a stump at the front door that sticks up, and that's, that's a safety hazard. Now, anybody can just say, yeah, that's obviously what it is. But the scientific community is saying, no, no, that correlation doesn't mean it's causation. They didn't trip because of that. You have to run a clinical study and prove that. You need to go spend a billion dollars over three years, and you need to, that's not enough test people. Ten's not enough. You need to have at least 10,000 people walk through, and you need to have a control group. You need another office that looks exactly the same that doesn't have that there and see if those people trip as well because correlation doesn't equal causation. And, you know, there's some truth to that in certain scenarios, but my question is, doesn't correlation and observation equal we need to study this? You don't need to make a downright conclusion, but we at least at least need to Right. Why am I not even allowed to the why am I not even allowed to suggest that there's a correlation here and we need to look into it? Why am I a conspiracy theorist when I'm observing something that's crystal clear? I mean, and nobody will buy into it or believe that that hypothesis is possible. Until it happens on national television. Now it's on the TV. It's true. They couldn't hide that. The guy fell over on a Monday night football game. That's just one of thousands and thousands of people. It's happening in every community. And everybody knows about these stories. But then they're just saying, ah, it can't be from that. Yeah. But now it happens on national television. And it's like, oh, wait, this guy fell over. And it's like, well, here you go. What about these 10,000 other people that fell over? And what's crazy is... I immediately looked up, okay, Hamlin, COVID, and instantly, tons of reputable uh, news outlets saying there's absolutely no clear, there's no way it could be from the vaccine. And to your point, how in the world could they be so certain within a matter of, you know, a week? How's that possible? How can you gr- draw right. a conclusion so, like that? So if I want to draw the conclusion that it's a possibility, I need a clinical study or I'm not allowed to speak, I'm going to be censored. But if they want to draw a conclusion that it's not from that, they don't need a study. Makes no sense, right? They just need Let, an endorsement from a why, well-known institution. Why wouldn't we use the same standard on both sides? And then the other part of it is you said reputable. That's where the mistake is. They're not reputable perceived as reputable that is their brand is perceived as reputable reputable 
But in actuality, they're propaganda machines because they don't cover the other side of the story. They cover one side of a story. And whenever the other side is presented, they intimidate it down. They manipulate it down. They censor it or they bully it or they present the other side for you in a very weak way and, and laugh at it. It's, no, it's just narcissistic manipulation is what it is. But the problem is people have accredited them as reputable because they say they are. But then you go to commercial and it's all drug commercials. Why is it all drug commercials? Because the drug commercials pay for them to be in business. So let me ask you a question. If you had a multi-billion dollar drug company and you spent a billion dollars a year in advertising with a television station that runs your commercial between every single show, would you want them speaking out and talking about how your product wasn't good? Absolutely not. And how your product was responsible for killing people? It, it's not going to happen because you actually own that station with your advertising dollars and you pay top dollar and you're the number one advertiser. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go against you. You know, that would be like, imagine there's a car company that advertises on a network and because there's a lot of car commercials and let's say Ford. And then suddenly they're running on every news show how Fords, you know, are breaking down and are not reputable cars. You think Ford's going to continue to advertise with them? They're going to lose their advertising dollars. Yeah. It's going to be gone. You're more likely to see how good Ford is on the actual news show. And that's actually like a thing. It's like an editorial advertisement. Like you can buy in a magazine, like a, a page for advertising, and you can make that page look like an article from the magazine. But you're controlling the content, and you just make it look like another page of the magazine. But in fact, it's an advertisement, but nobody knows. Yeah, you know, it's... Think about when someone's going to go... The great thing about, you know, you can buy a car, you can go online, and you can say, okay, what are the reviews on this car? And it'll give you reviews from other people, the reliability, all that. There's some type of... There is some type of third-party, you know company out there that's keeping them accountable allegedly allegedly but where is that with you know vaccines and products like that there where, where's the third party website where people that have had a chance to actually take the product and they can put their honest review on what's happened great question i would say the third party is our federal government at this point They've decided to get into the medical field and the medical game back with Obamacare. And now look what it's grown into. So they're the ones saying, yes, these products are good. These products are safe. These products are effective. And they are the validation, which is why people are trusting it so much. Because it's not only these huge companies, because people trust companies because they're big, Mm -hmm. which they shouldn't. Um, Ironically, people don't like capitalism and hate big companies, but then they trust those companies with their entire life. Uh, And then the government validates that. But the relationship between medical government and pharma is very unhealthy. Um, People that work at the CDC and these other government agencies um, that approve drugs and approve shots and, you know, review all this stuff, they get hired to these companies afterwards. And if you look into it, you'll see that a bill was passed to stop that. It was called something to do with the revolving door 
uh, bill where that you couldn't just leave government and go work for these companies because then you could be corrupted because the company could meet with you as a government agent and say, approve our drug and I'll give you a job for $8 million as soon as you leave. So what they did was they put a restriction on it where you have to wait 365 days before you can be hired. So now if you look that up, you'll find that people work for the government for whatever, 20 years. Um, they approve these drugs and then they leave the government. You can see the date. And then 366 days later, they get hired with huge signing bonuses. Mm. And their argument is, well, they, they know our field. And it's like, yeah, they know your field because they've been talking to you the whole time. Mm-hmm. How'd they even know to come apply with you? Because they were approving your drug. And it's like, well, no, that's not what happened. And it's like, okay, and then how come your drug killed 60,000 people like Vioxx? Who approved that? Not only was it approved, but it was pushed through and streamlined faster to get through without proper studies, just like this shot was done. And they're changing things to pass it through. And you say, well, how do they get away with this? Why don't politicians stop it? Why don't they say this is ridiculous? Let's, let's make it where you can't do that. And the reason being is there's things called lobbyists. And lobbyists go sit down with politicians and they tie the things together for them. They say this bill that's coming through that we need you to vote yes on is by a company that donated XYZ amount of money to this super PAC that is paying for your campaign at your next election. And if you don't vote yes, you might get somebody challenging you for your seat from your same party. And we know what you did in high school and we're going to let the whole world know about it. (laughs) And we're going to smear you. And smear campaigns work because people believe smear campaigns because they're on the television. They must be true, even if they're complete and total lies fabricated. And there's no penalty for lying in the United States. So the only answer is for people to get educated on all these things and for mass amount of people to get educated and understand this so that they don't buy the propaganda. But the reason they buy the propaganda so much is because its twin brother is censorship and the opposition is censored. And you don't see the opposing view. You don't hear it. It's hard to get it out. Because you have these channels that just are, they have eyeballs glued to them every night. And they're putting out all their propaganda. And stuff like this conversation right now, how do we get those eyeballs? How do we get it out? How do we get the information out? And then as soon as you do, the propaganda machine is released against it. No, that guy's a conspiracy theorist. Don't listen to him. He's a quack. Put him in jail. Lock him up. Get them off the platform, throw them off of YouTube, censor them, take them off of Twitter. Facebook has blocked them. I've been blocked on Facebook a bazillion times just for sharing articles, people's opinions, or my own opinion. And that is why this country was founded on the First Amendment. Freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have that, but we're living in a day when we don't, and that's why we're running in all the trouble we do. I think we should end on that note. You got a game to get to. Sounds good.